0: Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Beloved, our reading this morning comes to us today from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. You may recognize the words from the passage this morning for they are the basis of our liturgy during Holy Communion. Matthew's account of Jesus' Last Supper is just one of friends gathered around a Passover meal. And while the meal honors the deliverance of Israel from slavery into freedom, from the bondage of the Egyptian powers to liberation, the food is not a grand banquet, but rather a meal made of ordinary items, bread and wine. At this table of belonging and wholeness, no one, no one, not even Judas or Peter, was excluded. In this mingling of fellowship and betrayal, we glimpse a central, albeit often overlooked, dimension of Matthew's story. In this gospel, there are, aside from Jesus himself, no heroes, no saints, no righteous privilege, and neither ethnic nor class insiders. No one gets a better or worse seat at the table based on their merit or the worst thing that they have ever done. Here in the midst of a simple meal with ordinary people, we witness the extraordinary, the reconciling work of Jesus for both humanity and the whole of creation. Join me now in listening to these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine Until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
1: This morning we continue our sermon series called Conjunction Junction, in which we look at some of the grammar for a new way of conceiving our relationship with God and for how God interacts and, uh, with us in the world and how we experience God in our everyday lives. We've looked at a couple of conjunctions already, that first being and, and the work of God bringing seeming opposites together into one. And then last week, we explored the conjunction four, which speaks of how God uh, works with us to, uh, to reason out uh, ways of, of understanding God based on previous experience and often in the absence of facts or evidence. And today, we look at this wonderful conjunction, while, this idea that, that maybe while we're doing one thing, there's something else going on, That we may not perceive. Isn't this uh, something that we all have experienced in our lives? We find ourselves doing something that, that maybe seems routine or trivial or even unexciting in a place and time that seems rather ordinary and even uninteresting, when all at once a curious feeling washes over us and it suddenly dawns on us that maybe something else is going on here. Have you ever had one of those experiences, while you're doing one thing, you suddenly become aware that maybe something more important and meaningful and consequential is going on right here. Have you ever had that feeling? It's like that song from the 1960s Buffalo Springfield um, uh, protest music, uh, for that song, For What It's Worth, uh, where it says, uh, there's something happening here. But what it is ain't exactly clear. Haven't we all had that feeling that that something's happening here even though we may not have the words to really explain it? While you're hiking in the mountains, you have an unexpected, unexplainable, unmistakable brush with the divine or with awe and wonder. And it's like maybe you have just a glimpse something beautiful beyond the hidden uh, veil of our ordinary world, and, and you're moved deeply, in part because what you thought was, was just going to be another walk in the woods it turned out to be an encounter with transcendence. Or while you are sleeping, you have a dream that unearths an actual solution to a problem that you're having in your waking life. Or maybe reveal some answer you've been searching for for some time, and and when you awaken, you feel a little lighter, more clear-headed, maybe even more hopeful, because what you expected to be just another ordinary night's sleep turned out to be an experience of healing or self-discovery. Or maybe you're just having this casual business conversation with someone when they make some random comment that, in the moment, just… Suddenly unlocks a dilemma that you've been struggling with, or maybe sparks some new innovative idea that you hadn't yet thought of, and you say to yourself, "Wow, something just happened here." Because what you thought was just an ordinary encounter with someone in the elevator at work turned out to be this major epiphany. I think it happens to all of us in small and big ways. I. I remember hugging an old, dear friend of mine. We were saying goodbye, and he'd been dealing with some health issues, and it was apparent suddenly that he wasn't all that candid with me about his rather dire prognosis. When we embraced, he began to cry. And I thought, hmm, this is no ordinary hug. Something else is happening here. And what I assumed would be this ordinary routine farewell turned out to be a very different kind of goodbye. It happens, doesn't it? While we're doing one thing, something else is going on that maybe we, we didn't fully perceive or we couldn't understand. The problem for us humans is that we, we often don't have the eyes to see it when it is happening. Maybe that's in part because we perceive time as simply one continuous, linear, one-dimensional passage of events, a passage that connects the past to the present and to the future. In other words, we think of time chronologically as if it's a straight, unbroken, unfolding progression of seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. Now, only occasionally do we humans think about time uh, qualitatively right as in uh, did you have a good time or is this the right time to talk right now or it doesn't get any better than this that kind of time is not a clock time the ancient Greeks called it a kairos time which meant something like deep time or a time or moments that are pregnant with possibilities That kind of time is is measured in, in deep exhales, in brilliant sunsets, maybe in shared laughter or cups of coffee with friends. That's the kind of time that is pregnant or replete with divine possibility. For most of us, it's easy to know objectively what time it is. We have watches and clocks and calendars to help us with that. But it is far more difficult to perceive subjectively the quality of time that we're in, that is the the kairos moments of life. Our smart watches can can tell us the precise hour and minute and second of every moment, but they're not smart enough to tell us the gravity of the moment. Wouldn't that be helpful to have a a watch that could give us a notification that says, hey, pay attention, something is really happening right now. I mean, we'd, we'd all buy that watch, wouldn't we? And then we could just sleep through life and then wait for Siri to wake us up when life really matters. <laughs> but there's another reason I think we do not always see what's really happening when it's actually happening, and that has to do with the limitations of how we perceive our reality. We are told that we live in a three-dimensional universe in which our reality is defined by length and width and depth. So that if you want to know where in the world you are right now, it only takes three numbers or coordinates to pinpoint your exact physical location. They correspond to length, width, and depth, and they're called longitude, latitude, and altitude. And by the way, our smartphones are constantly tracking our every move according to those three coordinates, not to freak you out. But if your phone was off and you were suddenly to wake up and discover that you didn't know where you were, you could simply turn your phone back on and your phone, using its GPS, could give you the precise coordinates on a map to tell you exactly where on earth you are. And if, by the way, it actually happens that you wake up and you don't know where you are, there's a good chance you have much bigger problems to worry about. (laughs) A GPS can objectively say, you are here. It can describe our reality in spatial terms, but it cannot describe the subjective qualities of the places we're in, like right here, places where there is meaning or gravitas, or beauty, or some cool divine energy that we find when we're there. The ancient Celts, uh, Celtics, they, they taught us that, that there is a, what we, they would call thin places in the world. Places, in other words, where the veil between this world and the eternal world is very thin. Where the two worlds are fused together and become one so that we can encounter the divine and experience transcendence. And wouldn't that be wonderful to get that notification on our phones? Hey, buddy, pay attention. You're standing on holy ground, or right here is where you're going to find God, or holiness, or the love of your life, or the meaning of life. We would all buy that phone too. And then we could just sleepwalk through life And wait to be notified whenever we have finally stumbled upon our heart's desire. My point is maybe the way we've been taught to perceive our world objectively actually prevents us from seeing what's really going on out there. When we perceive and experience our world solely through these four observable dimensions of reality, that is, one of time and three of space, it can be hard to imagine that while we're doing one thing, something else that's really wonderful might be happening that we are not seeing. Physicists in string theory, this is mind-blowing. They say there are now actually ten dimensions in the universe. Ten! They're hard to experience because they're so tiny and fleeting, and they're hard to explain mathematically without a brain much bigger than mine. But five, they say five of those ten dimensions have to do with realities that have a totally different physics than those in the universe. And they all seem to point to a quality of time beyond the mere clock time that we live. And they speak to thin places beyond the ordinary spaces that we encounter. But most importantly, I think they all point to what so many of us sense but don't have a language to name. That maybe there's something extraordinary, wonderful going on beyond the veil of our perceived physical reality and maybe even some presence that's holding it together. Maybe that's why long ago we humans invented the conjunction while to describe the experience of how one thing, as it's happening, something else might also be happening too, and maybe we suspect that this something else that's happening is really what makes the world go around. This is something that the ancient Hebrews always seemed to understand, that there is more always going on in this world than our conscious minds can perceive. And I think it's best captured in this ancient story about a man named Jacob who in the book of Genesis, the 28th chapter, has this extraordinary dream. In the dream, Jacob is given to see that his whole life suddenly has meaning and purpose that he hadn't previously imagined. Before the dream, Jacob is mostly living essentially for himself. He's sleepwalking through his world, actually, living mostly for his own selfish desires and his own needs. And he's unaware that there's something else happening out there. And then he has this dream, and in the dream, Jacob sees a ladder, and it's set up on earth, and it's reaching into the heavens. And in the dream, angels are ascending and descending on that ladder, and God is there too, right at the base of the ladder, next to Jacob. And God tells Jacob, your life matters now, and I'm giving you this new calling, a purpose, which is to go to a land and create a nation of God's people. And that sounds like a tall order to Jacob, but God tells Jacob, I will not leave you ever. I'll be with you. And when Jacob awakens from his dream, he says famously, surely God was in this place and I, I did not know it. And everything changes for Jacob. He now has something bigger and more consequential to live for. And it all happens while Jacob was sleeping. While he was doing this ordinary thing, like sleeping, something extraordinary and wonderful was happening. And over the centuries, the Jewish rabbis who taught on this passage said that Jacob's dream suggests that there's this whole other world, a a dimension of the spiritual that's in this real world. And it lies open to us whenever we are awakened to it. They taught that the, the boundaries between the physical and the spiritual are actually rather porous and they are meant to be crossed. Uh, they said that we, like Jacob, can access that spiritual world if we have the eyes to see differently that is, to peer into the wiles of our life and wonder if maybe something else is happening. I will not leave you, says God in the dream. And if that's true, then while we are busy doing one thing, there's always something happening here. This is so different, friends, from the way we have been taught to think and perceive in the modern world. We are told that what you see is what you get, and that there is nothing going on beyond our temporal and physical experiences, things that have to be measured with evidence and proof. There's nothing beyond that. And so the world tells us, get back to sleepwalking through your world. You remember maybe years ago a little play written by Samuel Beckett. It was called Waiting for Godot. Waiting for Godot was written just a few years after the end of World War II when the whole world had witnessed death and war and genocide on a, on a scale never before imagined. And that happened to impact people of faith so much so that many began to abandon their faith. In fact, some philosophers and scholars proclaimed, quote, the death of God, uh, suggesting that no loving, active God would have allowed such evil to occur. So in this context, Beckett wrote Waiting for Godot. Uh, If you remove, of course, the last syllable of the play's title, you get Waiting for God. And you begin to see that this whole play was a scathing critique on Christianity. It portrays two men, Vladimir and Estragon, who are waiting rather hopelessly in a mostly meaningless and flattened world. They remain stationary throughout the entire play because they're waiting for God to come and finally settle everything. Their existence is entirely focused on waiting for God to appear and intervene. And of course, the point of a play is that their patience will never be rewarded because they're waiting for someone who's never coming and who does not exist. Sounds pretty harsh, even offensive to a lot of Christians, but would it surprise you if I told you that Beckett was right? The God that Vladimir and Estragon in that play were waiting for, and the God that so many Christians today are still waiting for, does not exist. The God of the Bible is not a God who sits outside of space and time from some great distance like Bette Mittler used to sing, right? This is not a God like the Greek god Zeus who's sitting on a cloud and maybe eating some popcorn while we entertain him, occasionally sending down thunderbolts and periodically intervening once we have sufficiently appeased him. That God is a bad idea, friends. That God is as dead as Zeus and all the toga-wearing Greeks that fashioned him the God that we believe in the biblical God throughout scripture is a God whose ladder bridges the heavens and the earth the the ladder that Jacob saw in his dreams and this God who said I will never leave you I'm right here on earth and this is the God who prompts Jacob to say Surely the Lord is in this place. We're not waiting for some distant God to come into this world and settle everything. And some Christians today are waiting for that God, which is how our world continues to spiral into chaos and evil and war. Maybe they just haven't been introduced to the real God of the Bible who's already here. And who's working beyond and within the known dimensions of our perceived world, waiting for us to wake up, waiting for us to get off of Beckett's bench and get in the game, to work and trust that something wonderful is happening. This, friends, in a nutshell, is what the whole gospel is about. Because the God who was in Jesus also does not stand outside of space and time but comes to us as a real person who stands in the real nitty-gritty in the social and political and cultural chasms of our world so that Jesus becomes, if you will, Jacob's ladder, the permanent bridge between earth and heaven, who embodies that same message, I will never leave you. And most people did not perceive Jesus to have that quality. In fact, even his closest followers didn't have the eyes to see that in Jesus. Which is why one night he invited them to this supper, and they all thought they were just showing up for another ordinary meal. But it says in that passage, while they were eating, Jesus broke bread and blessed it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat. The disciples thought they were just sitting down for a normal meal with their rabbi. But while they were doing one thing, the God in Jesus was doing something else. In the ordinary, Jesus reveals the extraordinary. Bread and wine, it couldn't get any simpler than that. These are the two basic staples that every first Christian Jew depended on. First century Jew depended on. Uh, This was what they used for, for food. And it was what they also used to gather people together in fellowship and community. And these two most basic, ordinary things like bread and wine, which no one could possibly live without. Jesus says, this is me. Ever present, indispensable, elemental, and Everywhere the extraordinary that's hidden in the ordinary. And it would take those disciples years before they finally understood it and could explain it. But when they saw him do that, I think they all knew something's happening here. And in that moment, heaven and earth were bound together, and they would never, ever like us do anything ordinary again. They would trust instead that while they were doing one thing something else is always happening. And it all starts with a while. While Jacob was sleeping, while the disciples were eating, while I was walking or preaching or dreaming, or while you were praying or weeping or listening, while you all were out there feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, visiting the lonely, something else is happening takeaways for today. Every moment is pregnant with divine possibility, and every place is brimming with divine presence. And while you are doing one thing, something else is always happening, always. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If
0: you'd like more information about our church, or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the Incarnate Christ, please visit gosaintandrew.com See you next week.